Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, it's good to be with you today, Venture, and it is good to be able to worship together. Uh, I don't know about you, I've always loved that song, that we can trust the God of angel armies. The same God who has protected in the past is the God who is protecting now, and he is working today. I got to tell you, I, I feel a great sense of appreciation of all that God is doing, even in this time of crisis. And I love what he's doing in our church. I love the different ministries as I, I look on a, a Tuesday night and I see small groups with our student ministry still meeting together. And today you saw a lot of the testimonies of our students and how God's working in their lives. We see the same thing going on in our children's ministries, where, where families are getting together, they're using the resources. We see it in your generosity. Our, our church keeps giving at an unbelievable level, especially to the COVID-19 fund. We've had over $100,000 given specifically so that we can help people, that we can give to those who are in desperate need. And, and I'd encourage you, I, I want to keep rallying people to the point that if you have needs, let us know. We want to support you during these times. In all of this, we see God working. And in even this sermon series, I entitled it Cocoon, because I think it's a great time period while we shelter in place, while we can't do the normal activity of life, to really focus on what are the ways that God is preparing us? How can we prepare now for the new world that's coming? One day they're going to lift this shelter in place. We don't know when it is. We keep hearing more news. But even when they lift it, we don't know how quickly we'll be together again as a church. Those are the things I don't know. I can't control. But I can focus on the things that, that I can control, that are in my scope, that God's doing in my life. And that's what I call you to do as well. We're praying in the same way in a cocoon, there's a great transformation that takes place from a caterpillar to a butterfly, that God would use this season in our lives to transform us, to change us, to make us more like him. Last week, we, we looked at what does it mean to prepare spiritually? How do we abide in Christ? Even in a time when he's pruning us, how is he preparing us to be more fruitful? This week, I want us to focus on how do we prepare relationally. Let's think about our relationships. And, and we're coming off a season where maybe there's been some stress on your relationships. If you, like me, in a household with a lot of people and we're sheltering in place and nobody can go to work and nobody can go to school and you're there all the time, some couples that are there, I talked to some empty nesters, it's just the two of them home all the time. Some of you that live life alone and you're trying to figure out how every day, relationally, you connect with others when you don't get to see them. It's produced some difficulties. It's produced some stress. You know, if the statement goes, absence makes the heart grow fonder, what does shelter in place do? It does it do the opposite. Here's the question I'd have for you. And, and just think about your own life. Maybe no one else in your household. Are you a more loving person now than when this began? Could you honestly say that about yourself? Now, as I say that word love, it, it's so broad, it's pretty easy to give yourself a pass and give me a pass. We use love in English in every context. We use it for 
food that we love, sports that we love, use it sexually as an expression with that. We, we use it as an emotion. We use it as a commitment. It, so many different ways. In the Bible, and especially in Greek, there's different terms for love. In fact, one of my favorite books is C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, and he walks through each of the Greek terms. And we know in Scripture, the highest form, the form of love with the greatest commitment, is its expression of the kind of love that God gives to us, is called agape love. In fact, there's probably no better chapter in the Bible that describes this than 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got a Bible, turn there to 1 Corinthians 13. And in it, Paul's addressing a church that had a lot of problems, church that was divided in ways, church that was under its own stress, a, a church that was really caught up in spiritual gifts and ministries and trying to prove things. And, and in his argument, he stops and he points out to this church and he points out to us, as great as those gifts are, as great as serving is, as great as anything else you put out there, nothing is greater than love. And then verses four through six he describes what he means of what this kind of agape love looks like. Read with me if you've got the text. We'll look at it and work through it. I'm just read verses four through six when he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the beginning of chapter 8, he says, love never ends. Now, this is a passage we're familiar with. I'll often read it in weddings. You know, it's a part of a wedding ceremony, and as you read through it, it's always funny to me, you read through it then, and the couple is so in love. They're so still in infatuation that even as you read through the passage, you can just see they're sitting there going, oh yes, we will always love like this. Now, as a pastor who's seen a lot of weddings over the years and counseled a lot of couples, I always kind of look at them when they have that glow and I think, all right, let's give it about a year or two. Let some of the chemicals in the brain wear off when reality really sets in and, and see if you're really living that out. And, and as I thought about it in this season, where we're sheltering in place, where we're, we're really on top of each other and we're having to do life in a way that none of us described or none of us expected. And as you do that, it starts to bring out who you really are. It forces you to grapple with this. And it's forced me to ask the question, am I a loving person? Am I growing in this? Now, as I say that, I think it's important to just kind of walk through what it is and what it's not. Paul laid it out for us, and I just kind of put it in a chart. On the left-hand side here, you've got all the love is and does and the list, and then love is not and does not. And in the passage, Paul bookends it. He starts with these two, moves over to what it's not, and then he finishes again with what it is. And I just want to walk you through each of these terms, because I think sometimes just investigating it, looking at it a little closer, it helps you to think about your own life a little bit. Look at this first one. He says, love is patient. Love is patient. In the Greek, this term is actually macrothumia. It, it means long in suffering. We, we use the English word long suffering. Someone who is willing to put up with a lot. 
And, and it's interesting to me, he leads with this. That if you're going to love someone, you have to be patient. And it's more than just having a patient demeanor. It's a willingness to suffer with this person for a long time. Now, why would he say it this way? Because if you're going to have a relationship with anyone, if you're going to love someone, there's a level of vulnerability there. Because you're loving a person who's fallen. They're broken in ways. And, and in that vulnerability, as you love them, the longer you're with them, they'll disappoint you. They'll even hurt you. They'll do things that, that you wouldn't like or you don't like. And a lot of people, frankly, they want to protect themselves so much that they won't put themselves in that vulnerable place. And the reality is, if you put up that kind of wall, you never experience or are able to give the kind of love he's talking about here. It's the love that God has for us, that he's so patient with us. And Paul starts right out of the gate, and he says, if you're going to love in this way, you have to be patient. It's got to be part of the relationship and the equation. Now, patience is kind of the attitude that you take. Kindness, then, is the action that goes with it. He says, love is patient, and then love is kind. You actually do things that, that are kind to them. You're kind for them. It, it might be easy. Some people have a very patient demeanor. It doesn't necessarily mean they're kind. The, these two in hand in hand. Let, let's take, for example, if the husband in a household was growing a scraggly, ugly beard. Just, you know, for example. And, and the wife might respond in patience. She might not say anything in patience. She might just let him in patience. But if she starts dropping comments about how bad it looks, she was patient, but she's not really kind with that. Now, in my household, we don't have this problem. Despite my ugly, scraggly beard, I married a woman who is both patient and kind. And so far, she hasn't said anything. That's why you're stuck with this uh, to this point. But in it, here's what it calls us to do. It calls us in your household, and especially in a time period when you're on top of each other and we're together and all that we're dealing with, are you a person who's expressing both patience with the people that you live with and kindness, doing those extra actions, helping out with a chore, taking a responsibility that might not be yours, deferring to them just out of kindness, Paul leads with these two. He says, this, this is how it starts. And then notice he jumps over here and, and he kind of works through a list of things that love is not. And, and you look at this first one, love is not or it does not envy. Uh, some translations say love is not jealous in that. And some people struggle with that because God describes himself in his love as jealous. There's a difference in that. There's a love that I am jealous for someone. There's a passion for someone. God has a passion for us. I am jealous for my wife. I mean, our relationship, I protect that, and I am passionate toward her. In fact, some people need to feel that more. Some need to feel it in their relationship, that jealousy for. You know, Stuart Briscoe tells a story of years ago, a counselor was seeing a couple and he noticed this lack of passion. I mean, the woman just seemed very flat. And the husband, frankly, was very passive. And the, the counselor kept talking. He was trying to get a, a rise in some way, trying to get some spark of emotion. And finally, he jumped up in desperation. 
He grabbed the woman, pulled her into his arms, and gave her a deep kiss, and let go, and then looked at the husband and said, you know what your wife needs? She needs that three times a week. The husband kind of looked at him and said, oh, that's going to be a problem. I can only bring her in on Thursdays. It's a bad joke, I know. Bad story, except I think it does illustrate the, the lack of passion that, frankly, some relationships have. Does your husband know you're jealous for him? Does your wife know you're jealous for her? It's a jealous for, it's a passion for, but notice what it's not. It's not a jealous of. There's not an envy with each other. In fact, in any loving relationship, in your friendships, in your home, with your siblings, there's not this comparison of who's getting ahead, of who got more, of who got left out. You know, one of the key lines we hear in the household is, is the line, it's not Fair. And that's one child usually expressing that another child is getting special treatment. And in the moment, it may feel that way. And in life, it may feel that way. I often tell my kids, life is not a snapshot, it's a movie. And if you take a snapshot of today, it won't feel fair. But if you look at the movie, you can trust to the best of our abilities. We're loving all of you equally. In the same way in life, in your relationships. In a time period like this where your family or you personally may be under a lot of pressure, it's easy to look around and feel like somebody else has it better or I'm having to do more or I take more responsibility. And in that, you have to release that. Love is not jealous. It's not envious. It does not boast. The language of love is not I and me and my. Boasting Boasting is a sign of an insecure person. And, and, and in a relationship, when you have to prove yourself all the time, when you have to put yourself one up all the time, when you have to boast what you've accomplished in that, it's usually more ind indicative of how insecure you are, or maybe insecure in the relationship itself. It's not arrogant. It's not haughty. Arrogant people struggle with love. Arrogant people either use other people or they stay frustrated with them all the time because they want everyone to bend to their agenda. In fact, it might be a good checkpoint if you find yourself frustrated with your household, frustrated with your friends all the time. It might not be them. It might be an attitude of pride that has crept into your heart. And guys, you know, one of the things that God says he actually hates is pride. One of the things he, he says in James that he opposes is pride. And one of the ways that we ferret out, that we discover whether we've become arrogant in our own heart and life, is how we treat other people. It's not rude. It's not rude. It, 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 as you look at that, the, the rudeness that sometimes creeps into a household, when you have high expectations and low appreciation, when the people that are closest to you, you expect them to do what you need them to do, but very rarely you ever show your appreciation for them. That's a bad combination. It leads to a level of rudeness. It's amazing to me, sometimes we are the rudest to the people we're closest to. Strangers, we would never treat that way. But we take people for granted in our own household, in our own life. 
Paul says, love doesn't act that way. Remember, love is kind. Love is kind. It's not rude. And, and again, I'm always amazed what we'll do for strangers. I, I love when you hear about stories of random acts of kindness, where people will go into the community and do a random act to a stranger or help someone else. It, it, it's awesome when we see that, but I gotta be honest, that's easy. A random act of kindness you know what's harder? You know what's more telling? A regular act of kindness to the people you live with. A regular act of kindness in your household, in your workplace, with your friends, in your relationships. It does not insist on its own way. It doesn't declare, we're going to eat what I want to eat every night. It doesn't say, I get to pick what we watch. It doesn't say the household's got to be according to my standards. Life is according to what I want. Love doesn't act that way. It doesn't insist on its own way. doesn't mean that you can't express what you want, but you don't insist what you want. Much like Jesus when he prayed with his father. Remember when he prayed in the garden? And in his prayer, he expresses, God, this is not what I want. I don't want to die on the cross. But he didn't insist on it. He expressed it because they had a loving relationship. But out of love and humility, he doesn't insist on his way. What about you? How are you doing in this category? It's not irritable. Now, to understand this word in the Greek, the original language, this word means irritable. Yeah, it's not real difficult. I wish there was some hidden meaning so I could kind of explain it away. Because I kind of look at that, and we don't usually use a harsh term like irritable. We'll say something like, well, I'm, I'm feeling a little grumpy. Or mom's in a bad mood. You know, we kind of give ourselves some outs with the languages we use or the language we use around it. Here's what Paul says. It's irritable. And when you're irritable, that's not love. When you're acting like that, it's not love. And, and it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter how long you've been at home. It doesn't matter if you, you have all these other excuses of why you're in that mood. Paul says that there's a choice that you've made here. That's not love. It's not resentful. It's not always keeping score. It's not keeping track of everything somebody's done wrong. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It, it doesn't look at someone and go, aha, you blew it. You don't look at somebody and you go, oh, I feel bitter about myself because they failed. You, you, you don't always feel like you got the high ground because they messed up. No, instead of rejoicing with wrongdoing, you grieve with them. You care about them. And then Paul jumps back to the positive at the end of the chapter. Instead of rejoicing at wrongdoing, look what you rejoice with. You rejoice with truth. With truth. Love is the environment for truth. And truth is not always painless. Sometimes truth can be harsh. Sometimes when the truth comes out, it's because they failed. Sometimes in truth, they may have hurt you. And we have this propensity as people going all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. When we fail, when we blow it, we want to hide. We don't want to be known. We don't want to bring it out into the open. But, but here's what love does. Love says, you can be open with me. You can be honest with me. We can be truthful to who we really are 
And I'll rejoice in that. We create the kind of environment where it's safe. To do that, you have to protect them. Look at this word, bears all things. The Greek word for this is stego. It bears all things. Uh, that word bears, it, it was used of a ship that if you were in a storm and wave after wave were coming and th they would say the ship was able to bear up through the storm. It was able to make it through that crisis. Sometimes it was used of a structure or a roof. If rain was coming in and it would say it bear up, it kept the leaks out with it. Or an army that was under assault. It was used in all these different ways, but you picture in that the storms of life coming in. You picture it under pressure. And in that time, and I think this is one of those time periods where this word really comes to the forefront, in the time of pressure, in the time of the storms, in the time when life is harder, does our love bear up? Do we in that protect each other? That, that the people around me would know they are safe with me. Their reputation is safe with me. I'm not talking about them behind their back. That, that their well-being is safe with me. I don't strike out with my words. I'm not irritable and rude and harming them. There's this environment of love that is created in that that allows everyone to flourish. Here's a question. Is that true about you and me? They hope or they believe in all things. Instead of always looking at the negative and instead of assuming someone is wrong, you believe the best about them. I'll tell you, if I can give advice to marriage and couples as much as anything, it's this phrase right here. If you would just start with each other and believe the best. Now, it doesn't mean they haven't made a mistake. It doesn't mean that, that there's not things that need to be surfaced. I'm not saying you whitewash everything. But, but it's amazing the attitude when as a couple you believe in each other. It's amazing as a kid when somebody believes in you. When mom and dad start with a, a foundation of trust instead of skepticism. In fact, maybe in your own life, I bet if you looked back, you can remember a coach or a teacher or a, a boss that you had or a friend, somebody that came along and they believed in you and the strength that provided in your life. They believe in you. They hope in all things. Guys, hope is the oxygen for the soul. In fact, one of the most loving things you could do right now for your friends, for your household, for your family, is be an instrument of hope instead of gloom. We have enough gloom. We have enough bad news. We have enough people. They're tracking all the time, and there's information coming all the time. You know what our households need more? You know what our friends need more? They need hopeful people. They need people that love them enough. They're expressing the love of God and the hope of God. And maybe that's what God's calling you to do, to be an instrument of hope in this. And then the final thing, he says, it endures all things. It makes it through. It survives. It doesn't end. Hard times will come, but love endures. If you look at that cumulative list, it's a pretty powerful list of how do we live this out in, in even the hardest seasons of life. And, and, and the beauty of it is God gives us this love in that relationship with him. But he's also given humanity, and especially as Christians, the ability to love each other. The ability to express agape love. That long-term committed love. You know, I, I read a story of a couple of years ago of a couple 
Michael Joyce and his wife Linda, they lived in New Zealand. And uh, Michael struggles with Alzheimer's. He and Linda have been married 38 years. They love each other. And finally, because of the disease, Michael forgot that they were married. Now, he's a good man and an honorable man. And so in light of this, he, he, he looked at her one day. They woke up in bed and he looked at her and he said, we need to get married. Will you marry me? And she just kind of smiled at him and said, of course I'll marry you, Michael. She explained it later. She, she said, I mean, you don't want to tell him we're already married. And frankly, I didn't know if he'd remember it the next day. But the next day came, and again, Michael looked at her. He said, all right, now when's our big day? We got to get married. And so she planned a wedding ceremony. This is what she sent out to her friends. She said, my adored hubby of 38 years suffers from Alzheimer's and dysphagia. Two nights ago, out of the blue, with tear-filled eyes, he asked me to marry him. Michael had clearly forgotten we were already married, but I absolutely went along with him and said I would be delighted to be his wife. In spite of his confused mind, he obviously knows and feels this is something he really wants to do. To Michael, it will be our wedding ceremony, and to our friends and myself, a truly precious, memorable occasion. You know, I've got a few pictures from their ceremony. Here they are exchanging their vows. And then as Michael kissed his bride, and then this great shot of the two of them together. Now, I love that picture. As Linda described it, she said, you know, there's been a lot of sadness and there's been a lot of frustration. And despite all of the fogginess, today has been a day of pure joy. I love that picture and I love that image of the two of them as they live out together a picture of the kind of committed love that God's calling us to. And there will be days of sadness and there will be disease and there will be hard times, but we can make a choice. As we look at this, I want to leave you with just a few takeaways few things to take out of this. If you look at this passage, here, here's the first thing you see. Love is, is not just an emotion. It's an attitude, it's beliefs, and it's action. All throughout that list, it's not just emotion. And, and we want to make it out about emotion. We, we, we want to say, well, okay, as long as I feel love, and when I no longer feel it, I must not love. And Paul just scraps that. He goes, yeah, there, there are some feelings but really more than feelings, it's attitudes. It's attitude about yourself. It's attitude about others. It's attitude about God. There's beliefs. There's things that you root down and you go, this is what I believe to be true and I'm going to hold to it. And more than anything else, you know what you saw on that list? Love is action. Agape love is action. Agape love is stepping forward with action that I'm committed to the people in my life no matter what's going on. And, and I think that's part of what we can embrace. This is not a pause in life. This is life. And, and during this time, especially where we're here and it feels like we're in the cocoon, it might be the time to work on these relationships the most. Now, to do that, the second point you see is growing in love means growing in the different facets of it. When I say I want to grow more in love, it's not, again, I'm not just growing in feeling. If you'd asked me 30 years ago, this coming December, I married Lee. And, and I mean, I loved her so much. 
But I got to tell you, 30 years in, I love her more now. Now, if you'd asked me that day, I would have disagreed. I was like, oh, there's no way anyone could ever love anyone the way I love her. But I didn't understand all the facets of it. I didn't understand all that it meant. But here's the reality. If I'm going to keep growing in love with her, I can't just wait for new emotions. I actually have to put new actions into place. I have to adjust my attitude. I have to check my heart. In fact, if you go back to that list, and I'd encourage you, you can just take the passage. Here's a great test for every single one of us. Great way to apply this. Go back through it, and, and instead of saying love is patient, love is kind, put your name in. So if I go through the list, I go, Tim is patient. Tim is kind. Tim does not envy. Tim does not boast. Uh, no, it kind of sounds weird, me talking about Tim in the third person. But as you go through the list, he, here's what's important. I'd encourage it. Do it and actually read it to your spouse if you're married. Read it out loud. If you say any one line and they kind of laugh after you say it, that's a good check that you go, okay, I might need to work on this one. In fact, even with yourself, if you read through it and there's a line that as soon as you say that, I mean, Tim believes all things, Tim bears all things. If anything, as you say it, part of you goes, oh, that doesn't really ring true in me. It's a great opportunity to kind of underline that one and to look at it and to go, hey, I got to work on this because I want to keep growing in love. It's not static. And it gives me specific areas and arenas that I put it in action. Now, as I say that, some of you go, yeah, but Tim, we're under more pressure now than we've ever been. It's not really fair to evaluate us while we're in crisis. Because this is what's causing the problem in our home. This is what causes the problem in our This is why I'm irritable. This is why I'm not that way. Here's the point I would say to you with that as well, though. If you see the third point in your notes circumstances and pressure reveal what was already there. Pressure has an amazing way of speeding up what was already there. If you cook something in a pressure cooker, you know, you put the food in and then you seal it. And because it's under pressure, you can cook it a lot faster. But when you open it, it doesn't change the contents. You, you get what was there, it's just cooked. It's not different kind of food. It's just cooked food. And I would say the same is true about our lives. The same is true about our relationships. It's easy under pressure to blame the pressure for why you act the way you do. Or to blame the other person. I would be more loving except she does X and X and this. I would be more loving. I would respond in that way, but he never does. It's easy to blame our circumstances. It's easy to blame the pressure Oftentimes, those only bring out what was really in my heart, what was really there. And, and I, I want to encourage you, some of you, and some of you as couples, some of you personally, you're not doing well right now. Your relationship is falling apart. You're, you're damaging each other during this time. And I'd encourage you, reach out to us as a church. Call us. We, we have counselors I was talking to Pastor Paul Gerlach this week, and, and we have counselors, coaches, uh, the, the Christian Counseling Center, San Jose. Get the help you need. Don't let it just deteriorate under that. And, and as you do that, though, for, for many of us, maybe it's not at that drastic kind of toxic place, 
But it's just the place that we look at it and we go, instead of allowing this pressure to be an excuse to drive us apart, we're going to use this season to grow closer in love, to be committed more. Because love bears up. Love makes it through the storm. That's the attitude and the commitment that we've embraced. A couple of last things as you see as we do that. This kind of love is not natural. It depends on a relationship with God. It doesn't come to us naturally. When you describe agape love, the only reason we can love like that at all is because God is love. But if we're going to experience it and give it to others, we have to experience it with him first. That's a hard reality. Look how John puts it. I love this verse. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What we're describing is the very character of God himself. This is who he is. And if we want to experience this, we have to know God. That word there isn't like a casual acquaintance. The word here is you're actually in relationship with God. You're actually in a love relationship with him. And because God loved us so much, that's why he sent his son. It was an act of love. It wasn't just a feeling of love, it was an act of love. Because Christ loved us so much, he died on a cross. Because he rose from the dead, he proves to us that his love did bear through. He proves to us that his love did endure. He proves to us that his love can protect us. He proves to us that his love did overcome. All the things he's asking us to do, Christ already accomplished. And if we want to experience that in our lives, if you want to experience it in your home, in your relationships, to the level we're talking about here, you will never do it without a relationship with God. And you will never have a relationship with God until you humble yourself. You can't be arrogant. You can't be rude. You have to humble yourself. And you have to embrace his forgiveness, his love, his gift. I'd encourage you, if you're struggling with this, maybe it's an indicator spiritually of a need in your life. And today's the day you receive his gift of forgiveness and love so that you can give it to others. Final thing I point out from it, I love how it states love never ends. Guys, it never ends. It's the one thing you know will be consistent in the future. I I don't know what's coming over the next few weeks. I keep hearing it's changing. But I hear both sides of it. I hear some that say we're going to shelter in place forever. I hear some that say we'll bounce back. I hear some that say the economy's going to crash. I hear some that say the world's going to change. The reality is none of us knows exactly what's right in front of us. And, And as you think about it, that's really true about all of life. We don't know the future as much as we like or as much as we think. But here's the one thing I know. People will be there. The opportunity to love will be there. The the, the consistency that love endures. And so why would I not take the time now to be the kind of loving person that no matter what I face, I know it's going to need love. I love how Paul ends the chapter. He says, so now there's faith, hope, and love. Abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. I mean, faith is awesome. We have a relationship with God because of faith. Hope is awesome. Our hope for eternity through God is is our hope. 
but they don't compare with love. Because the day's going to come when we won't need hope or faith anymore. One day when we stand in front of God's presence, we won't need faith because we'll have sight then. We won't need hope because all of our dreams will be realized then. You know the only thing that's left? Is love. See, love lasts not only now, not only with what's around the bend. It's the one thing that will take into eternity because our God is love. Why would we not in this season step back and really evaluate, invest, grow, so that in the life that we have, we can learn to love others well. We can learn to experience God's love more. We don't stop and just statically live through life. We want to grow in it. And I think this is the best time to grow. You know, I told you guys I love sports. Uh, every so often ESPN will run stories about different athletes. And I remember over a decade ago, back in 2009, there was this great story that they ran about two high school athletes on a wrestling team. Uh, one guy named D'Artagnan Crockett and then the, his friend Leroy Sutton, two young African-American men. And it, it was interesting because uh, D'Artagnan, this big man, but he, he was legally blind. He could barely see in front of his face. And, and then Leroy, his friend, was, was a paraplegic. His legs had been amputated below his knees. He'd been, been in an accident on a train track when he was a kid. Both of them didn't have parents. Both of them came from households that struggled with addiction. Uh, all these things that were set against them. And yet there on the wrestling team, they developed a friendship. And ESPN did this great story as D'Artagnan would literally carry his friend Leroy around campus and to meet on his back. And, and, and so they did the story of the blind boy who carried his friend. Now, I love the story, but it really was the story after the story that captured me. Because the young woman who is a producer for ESPN is a woman named Lisa Finn. She's a Christian. And she was always praying, God, can you use my work as ministry? And specifically, God kept laying on her heart, how do you express my love in your work? And as she met these two, they did the story, but she couldn't leave it alone. She started raising money for them so that they could go to college. But the reality was, even as they went to college, they didn't have the life skills to make it. So Lisa and her husband kind of quasi-adopted these two. They would come and eat at her house. She'd continue to track with them. She'd make sure they had meals, make sure that they could study, make sure with each step with it. To the point that D'Artagnan would go to the Paralympics and win a medal in judo. And Leroy was the first in his family to ever graduate from college. One day, years later, Leroy finally asked her, Why'd you stay? Why'd you stay in our lives? And she kind of said to him sheepishly, well, because I love you. And he said, I, I know you were going to say that. But after all the cameras left, after all the news was gone, after everybody else was gone, instead of just being a story, why did you love us so much? L listen to Lisa's words. Listen to this young Christian who's trying to live out what we're talking about here. 
she said in it, I grew up on the other side of Cleveland from you two, the white side. My parents scrounged up the money for private schools to protect me from the public schools and those people. But, but D'Artagnan and Leroy, you eased me in graciously. You opened up about your struggles. D'Artagnan, you did it with great eagerness as I think of, as you were waiting your entire life for someone to know you and truly see you. But Leroy, your revelations, they emerged more reluctantly. You'd been emotionally abandoned too many times. But you both began to believe that perhaps I genuinely cared. I stayed because I would not be next on the list of people who walked out and over your trust. I stayed because we get only one life and we truly don't live it until we give it away. I stayed because we can change the world only when we enter into another's world. I stayed because I love you. That's agape love. And it's not going to show up when we come up with some day that we look up and go, you know, I'm going to really start loving people. It's not going to show up because we have some grand dream. It's going to show up in the people right in front of you, in the people that God's put across your path. And right now, in the people in your home, in your friendships, the people you know. I love how she puts it. We, we only get one life, and we experience it most when we give it away. You know what she's expressing there? She's expressing exactly what Jesus said. That greater love has no one than you lay down your life for your friend. It's what he did for us. It's what he calls us to do in others. I pray, let's use this time to grow in it, to be the people of love that he's called us to be. Because when that new world opens up, when the doors open up again, when we step out and into it, I can promise you this, love will be needed because love will endure. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for the love of Christ. I thank you that you loved us first. I thank you that you pour it out in our hearts and lives. I thank you that you call us to the high standard of your love. And may we not settle for less. Lord, we don't want to be people of just emotion. We don't want to be people who say we love but never act on it. We want to love like you love. And we confess to you we do not have the ability, so you have to love through us. Lord, I pray for those who might be struggling in their relationships right now. I pray that you would convict. I pray that you'd bring forgiveness. I pray that there'd be a release. Instead of bearing things and being resentful, that there'd be a release and there'd be forgiveness. Lord, I pray for each of us that we'd use this time well to focus on our hearts and lives, that we could become more like you because you are love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.